So we're going to read from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death the member, your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you are yourselves to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who... in is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, If anyone has a complaint against a brother or against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 28 through 30 this morning. Ephesians 5, 28 to 30. Headship is nurture and tender care. Headship is nurture and tender care. Early on in the book of Proverbs, you encounter two women... They are two voices that call out to people. One voice is Lady Wisdom. She calls to us to follow God and to follow His Word. Another, as uh, one person has called her, Dame Folly, because she is no lady, uh, she tempts us to follow sin and foolishness. She's a deceiver at heart. And so what she tries to do sometimes is to disguise herself so that she appears to be two contrasting voices. She hopes that you will think that one of her voices is actually the voice of wisdom. 
We see that happening today in the role of men and women. So we, we find feminists, for example, they, they claim to protect the rights and the well-being of women. Male chauvinists, on the other hand, claim to protect male headship. Both want you to think that they represent the right path and that there are only two choices. Feminists reject male headship. Male chauvinists pervert male headship. And we ask, is there no other way? Well, indeed, there is another way. But it's not always readily apparent because Dame Folly tries to hide that from us. She doesn't want us to see that there is another way. And so she tries to present two options for us, both being wrong and making us think that it's only one or the other. Lady Wisdom does call to us from Scripture, but you have to have ears to hear. And one of the things I want to make sure... You understand, we're not seeking middle ground. Now, sometimes that's the right thing to do, but when you're talking about theology, that's not the right thing to do. We're not seeking the middle ground. We're seeking biblical ground. Okay? So whether it ends up here, here, or here, wherever, we're looking for biblical ground. What then is the way of wisdom? What is God's path? Well, Proverbs concludes with another woman. This one is not a a picture like Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. Not a, a figure of speech, if you will. This is a real woman. She is the excellent wife. And Solomon says something very intriguing about her husband. He says the the heart of her husband trusts in her, Proverbs thirty one eleven. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Commentator Bruce Walkie said, It's remarkable that her husband realizes that his well being stands or falls on her reliability. He has chosen to to depend on her to work together with her for his own success, if you will. And he says, this is because this husband and wife enjoy a robust spiritual relationship. And what a beautiful picture that is. And when you read Proverbs 31, that's, that's the image you get, a robust spiritual relationship between that husband and his excellent wife. So how do we get there in our marriages? And Paul's going to teach us here in Ephesians 5, 28 to 30, that a Christ-like husband loves his wife by nurturing her with tender care. A Christ-like husband loves his wife by nurturing her with tender care. See, those two voices of Dame Folly, feminism and male chauvinism, feminism thinks that the only alternative to them, their view, is male chauvinism. And male chauvinism thinks the only alternative to them is feminism. So it has to be one or the other. And they both want you to think that. But Christ shows us a more excellent way. Back in Ephesians 5.2, at the beginning of this chapter, remember Paul called us to be imitators of God, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. 
See, we're to imitate God. We're to imitate Christ. And that's what he's developing here now as we've come into this section of wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. Is it, It's all tied to Christ and we're imitating Christ in everything that we do. Have you noticed when you've read through this section, the wives and husbands section, the number of comparative terms where Paul says, as or just as? Have you noticed how many? Let me run through them real quickly. Verse 22, as to the Lord. Verse 23, as Christ is the head. Verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ. 25, just as Christ, there's just as, just as Christ also loved the church. And then in our passage, verse 29, as Christ also does the church. You see, so the whole point of it all is that it's all about Christ. And that's really where he's going to end up, right? So as he gets to the end of the chapter, he's going to say, I know this is a mystery, but really I'm talking about Christ and the church. And yes, this applies to husbands and wives. Literally, you're to do these things. But the ultimate idea behind all of this is that it's about Christ and how he loves his church. Now, you may wonder if you've peeked ahead and think, okay, now is Paul switching comparisons here? He said all throughout here, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So imitate Christ. Now, is he going to say the comparison is your body? Is he switching here? And some some people look at that and they say, oh, you know, he's going now to something so mundane about you're just your physical body and, and, you know, how unspiritual that is after talking about Christ. Is he really switching? Well, we'll, we'll see. Look at verse 28. After calling us to husbands to love our wives, verse 25, and then telling us about how Christ loved the church. Now, verse 28, he says, so... Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. So our first point today is this. Husband, love your wife as your own body, the way you love your own body. So after showing us how Christ loved his church, he again, Paul again calls husbands to love their wives. And he says they ought to do this. This is a duty that we have. And just as we said for wives that submitting to their husbands is voluntary. God calls them to do that. It's voluntary. They have to choose to do that. But remember, we also said it's not optional. He's not saying, you know, you have the option of you know, submitting or not. No, not at all. You have to do it. But you have to choose to do it. And the same thing is true here. Husbands, for us loving our wives, it is voluntary. We have to choose to do this, but it is not optional. What he's saying is that by this word ought, if a man does not love his wife the way that Christ loved the church, he's sinning. That's sin, to not obey. So is it that we're, we husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, or are we supposed to love them the way we love our bodies? It, it, which is it? Well, these are really not different. He's not actually switching comparisons here. Because as we're going to see in verse 30, that at the end of verse 29 and the verse 30, is that Christ is still the pattern. And we're going to develop this as we see this whole idea of uh, Christ's body and our body and so forth. 
What the apostle's doing here is he's going deeper into this. He's, he's talked about how Christ loved his church. But now he's going deeper and he's getting personal with it. And he's helping us as, as husbands to better understand how to love our wives, better understand even how Christ loves his church. You see, because we all know how it is that we love our bodies. We all love our bodies. Okay, go, you've heard me and others use this, you know, you're, you're hammering a nail and you miss and you smash your thumb. What do you do? What happens? It goes right to your mouth, right? And you, you kiss it or you put it in your mouth or something and you baby it, right? And, and so you hurt yourself, you immediately do something about that. We know how we love our bodies. And, and so that love we have for our bodies helps us better understand the depth of love that Jesus has for His own body, which is the church. And that helps us grasp the kind of love that we husbands ought to have toward our wives. You see, so we're patterning our love after Christ's love for the church, but how do we better understand that? He says, okay, well, I want you to just look at yourself and how you love your own body. And so, men, I know you love your body, so you look at that and you get to see the depth that... Um, it, it's a picture of how carefully Christ loves. Because you think about how carefully you love your body. It helps us understand how much focus Christ gives to loving His church, His body. Because we look at how focused we are. And if you doubt me, you just think about your day. I mean... Your day starts out with your body. You you do things to take care of your body, and and everything that you do, it's all revolves around your body. You know, you brush your teeth and everything. You know, you, you you've got to you get dressed. It's all about your body. We are caring for we. When you eat, you're very carefully taking care of your body. When you drink something, you're taking care of your body. When you take medicine, you're taking care of your body, and all these kinds of things. <clears throat> We are very focused on that, and we do it very carefully. And also, you think the, about the manner. It helps us understand the manner. We're going to talk about that. What kind of attitude should we husbands have as we love our wives? Is it okay to be kind of cold and callous toward them? How? What kind of manner must we love? And so, on the slide here, uh, what I want to kind of talk you through that real quick, and... We see, and it's a little little busy, and I apologize for that, but I was kind of running out of time, so I tried to do the best I could. But what's going on here is you have Christ, and you have His head and His body, okay? And so He is the head of the body, and the body is the church, okay? So you've got that picture that He's already he's drawn for us, that Christ is the head and that the church is His body. And so He loves His body, the church, okay? Now... And there's not going to be this exact parallel we're going to see, but there's there's there are connections. So when we move over to the husband on the right side of the, the screen, you've got the husband is the head of the wife, you know, and, and you, you guys like this. I still gave you the, the sheriff star, right? And uh, so you see, even though you got the oneness there, you know, you're the head. Okay, so, you know, if you, you need that, hang on to it, right? And honey, I've got the sheriff star, right? And, He, on one level, on the left side of the man there, 
He loves his own body, his, his physical body. That is the picture that Paul is giving us here. So, so in a sense, his head directs his body, right? And he loves his physical body. But what we've learned from Genesis 1 and 2, and then we're going to see even more when we get into verse 31, is that his body isn't by itself. If he's married, his wife is now one with his body. Okay? She's one with his body. And, and so, not only does he love his physical body, he takes care of it, very meticulous about that, but the Christian husband also loves the one who is one with him, his wife. She's one with his body in that sense. And so he loves her too. And so you kind of have two things going on there. And, and so part of what I wanted to do there is to give a word of caution. Some people look at this passage and they say, the wife is the husband's body. I mean, you've got Christ is the head and his body is the church. And so therefore, since the husband is also the head, which is true, then the wife must be his body. Paul is not saying that. I mean, just look, he's not saying that. They say, yeah, but okay, that's kind of what he means. Well, no, he can't mean that. And I'll give you some reasons why it can't mean that. He's going to say in verse 29 that no one ever hated his own flesh. And we'll talk about that. But no one ever hated his own flesh. But is it possible for a husband to hate his wife? Sadly, yes. That happens all too often. You see, so a man isn't, he doesn't, he never has hated his own body, but he might hate his wife. So his wife cannot be his body. Okay, so there's... One reason, or maybe a second, the first is that Paul doesn't say it. Then you have that. She is not his body. Instead, she is one with his body. Verse 31. We'll develop, Lord willing, next time. But husbands are also told to love their wives. And they're never told to love themselves. And I know pop psychology likes to tell us that, that, oh, what Jesus or Paul's saying here is that you need to love yourself. It's not saying that. It's saying you do love yourself. You already do. That, that's a foregone conclusion. That's a true statement based on humanity. You love yourself. Okay? We're never told, never commanded to love ourselves. But the husband is commanded to love his wife. It's a truth from the natural realm that people will love, nurture, and protect oneself. We naturally love our bodies. And that illustrates for us how Christ loves His body. You see, and that's what He's doing here. He said, okay, men, look at how you love your body. And then think about how Christ loves His body. And think about how carefully, you know, the, how you're careful with loving your body. And Christ is careful loving His body and focused on that. That becomes our pattern for loving our wife, the one who, the person who is one with our body, you see. So, so he's kind of got a picture on top of a picture here, or a picture of a picture. So he's saying, okay, you have the picture of how Christ loved his church, and that's what you husbands are to, to model. But to help us, he says, okay, if you're still kind of wondering about that, how does Christ love his body? Well, think about the way you love your body. 
you know, the intent, how intentional you are, how careful you are, how focused you are with it, how tender you are with it. Okay, so hopefully that, that start. The wife is not the husband's body. There are people out there that say that they're wrong. That's error. Okay, she is one with his body. Okay. Our second point is this: tender care for your wife is tender care for yourself. Tender care for your wife is tender care for yourself. Verse 28, going on in that verse. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. You see, the loving care that we have for ourselves comes naturally to us. You don't have to teach your child that. Okay? They come out of the womb already knowing how to do that. Okay? They love themselves. Okay? And they will care for themselves as they grow and be, and they're capable of doing that. But they are already concerned from the get-go. I mean, just think about when they get hungry. What do they do? They let you know, right? And and so because they and this this love for our body is not in and of itself bad. Okay, we're supposed to care for ourselves. We're supposed to be good stewards of our bodies. And God has entrusted us with this body. We should take care of it. So this this is not self-love that we talk about when we're, you know, um, pointing out errors in, in uh, pop psychology and things like that. This is just natural, that natural care for your body. Because it comes naturally to us, we don't need a commandment for it. But... Husbands loving our wives, that does not come naturally to us. And I can't remember if I've told you all this or not. You know, some people say that women aren't commanded to love their husbands because they naturally love their husbands. I'm like, okay, number one, have you read your Bible? Number two, have you paid attention to yourself? You know? And uh, no, women don't naturally love their husbands. They're not told that because the husband is supposed to set the example and they're supposed to follow, Right? Husbands don't naturally love our wives. And so we need a commandment. And we're given a commandment. And we husbands are no more able to love our wives in our own power than our wives are able to submit to us in their own power. Neither one of us can do that. We both need God's enablement to do that. We both need a supernatural power to do that. And if you think about where we are in Ephesians, we're in the section called walk in wisdom. Back to verse 15. Walk in wisdom. Okay. And then in wisdom, we turn to the power of the Holy Spirit. We realize in wisdom, I can't do this on my own. I can't love my wife on my own. I, it doesn't come naturally to me. I mean, you know, whenever my, my dear wife does whatever, it might be sin or I might just take it wrong or whatever. Love is not the natural thing. I'm working at it becoming the habitual thing. But that's not natural. I need the, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And so walking in wisdom means that I have to, I realize I have to be filled with the Spirit to love my wife. Because even when she's doing everything she's supposed to be doing right and she's walking with the Lord, I still... Don't do it. My natural is not to love. I need the Holy Spirit to empower me to do that. 
So the end of verse 28 again, he who loves his own wife loves himself. And then verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. And Paul here is using body and flesh interchangeably and that it doesn't have the ethical overtones of the, of the word flesh that where he uses it elsewhere when he talks about flesh as a bad thing, that where our sin resides. That's not what he's saying here. It just means this, you know, flesh and bones, right? That kind of sense of flesh. It's our body. And he says it's an, a general truth that no person ever hated his own body. Now you say, oh, but John, you don't know. I have hurt myself plenty. I know people who hurt themselves. I've counseled people who cut themselves, for example. Okay? People do harm themselves. So is Paul wrong? He says very clearly, no one ever, I mean, you can't get more emphatic than that. No one ever hated his own flesh. But what about people who do harm themselves? Do they prove Paul wrong? Well, not at all. People who harm themselves have turned inward on themselves. Their love for their body, their love for their self has turned inward on itself. And so now it becomes distorted. It becomes unhealthy. The natural love for their body becomes unhealthy. Counselor Ed Welch, Ed Welch explains that, that, that they need to turn outward toward God, as in turning to the Psalms. And he says, all other paths than turning to God, all other paths loop back to yourself. It's as if you, you can't get away from you. You can't get away from your swirling emotions. The Psalms come down and they describe and they name these swirling emotions. And then they take us outside of ourselves and to the God who gives hope. You see, so what he's talking about here is their, their love for self gets distorted and their, their self-harm, it doesn't come out of a lack of love for themselves, but a love that's turned in on itself. That's where harm, that self-harm comes from. Okay. So, people who, for example, is fairly common, who uh, cut themselves and, and we encounter them in counseling, they do it to feel better. They will tell you that. They do it to feel better. All of the self-harm, they do it to feel better. And that proves Paul right. While they're doing something harmful to themselves... They're doing it because they love themselves and they want it to feel better, but their self-love has gotten distorted and they they don't understand it rightly. And that's why they need, number one, the gospel. They need the Word of God. And they need somebody wise to walk with them and help them understand how their natural love for self has gotten distorted and twisted. And, and to help them, as, as Welch says, to turn outward... And very often what we'll do is we take them to the Psalms, just like he says. Because the Psalms point us to God. Turn outward to God, the one who can give you hope. And, and so that's what, what's going on. So what you know, Paul isn't wrong in this. Being inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know, we come to this knowing, okay, well, he's got to be right. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But as we look into it deeper, we, under, we can see, yeah, he is right. We just need to better understand um, 
how sin has so affected people and hurt them that they hurt themselves. That it, it, it takes the natural love for their body to take care of their body, and as I said, it turns it in on itself. Okay. So truly, as he goes on, every one of us nourishes and cherishes his or her body. These two terms were commonly used in the nursery, uh, not not our nursery necessarily, but Greek, the Greek-speaking world's nursery. That's because they're filled with the idea of compassionate care. You see, he's showing us here the manner, the manner in which a husband is to love his wife. It is not to be cold and calloused, not to be oppressive. And, and these words destroy any idea that a man can, that's okay for him to be cold toward his wife, that he can be oppressive toward his wife. The word nourishes actually means to nurture. And it's commonly used for bringing up a child, to rearing up a child. And Paul's going to use it that way in chapter 6 when he's talking about bringing them up in the ways of the Lord, right? So that's, that's how the word was commonly used. And, and the idea there in, in Ephesians 6, 4 is that full-orbed parenting that, that goes into raising a child to maturity. Okay, so parents, the easiest job in the world, right? Bringing a child up to maturity, right? Not, not one day could you say that, right? It's a lot of work. Because they're little sinners just like we are. And we have to work and bring them up. And we're sinners, so we don't do it well. And we've got to constantly say, okay, I sinned against you, son. So forgive me and let's start over here. It's a lot of work. And all that we put into it, there's a lot that has to go into raising a child, right? It isn't just, you know, getting them to, point, to the point where they can get dressed and now, okay, they're good. And no, I mean, there's so much about teaching them about life and about how to interact with other people and so forth. So... That's, that's the idea here with this nurturing, bringing them up to maturity and all that goes into that. So husbands, I don't know if you're, you're catching on yet. We have a hard job. We have a big job. And in and and the way that we are to nurture our wives... And, and think about the nurturing that we each put into our body, because that's actually what he's talking about. He's not talking about kids here, raising kids. He's saying this is how we men love our bodies. We nurture them. And think about how we feed them, we attend to illness, we attend to our wounds, our pains, we exercise, we get plenty of fluids, we seek comfort, a whole bunch of things. And that's what we do, and we nurture our bodies. The word cherishes describes caring for someone or better, taking tender care of someone. Paul uses this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, and he's describing the kind of care that he and the other uh, missionary workers had toward the churches. And he said, it's like a nursing mother the way that she nurtures her baby, her child. He says, that's how we loved and cared for the churches. And and to the feminists, they can't appreciate, they won't appreciate this 
biblical model of tender care. I mean, they'll say, oh, we don't need we don't need husbands, you know, to, to, we don't need their tender care. I mean, you ladies, you're sitting there like, uh, that sounds kind of good, right? But sometimes in their own worldly foolishness, they say, no, 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 we don't need anybody. But everybody needs. None of us are independent. It was not good for the man to be alone, and it's equally not good for the woman to be alone. I know there are exceptions to that, but generally speaking, we need one another, and, and none of us can say, I don't need anybody, because every one of us needs the body of Christ. And so we should appreciate this and try to emulate it. So a godly husband, what he does with this nurturing and this taking tender care of his wife... What it means is that he creates an environment where his wife can thrive spiritually. Husband, now, your wife, her job is to see that the home is this environment of a place of, of rest and where you can get, the whole family can get away from the world and just, you know, rest and be restored and refreshed and renewed. And, you know, this is where all kind of wonderful things happen. You, you know, you eat meals together and you're warm and out of the cold and everything. And the wife is responsible for that. But husband, it's your job to create the environment. You know, she's probably better, for most of us anyway, better at, you know, making the house a place where you really like coming to as far as just what happens there and the way it looks and everything. And But we husbands are responsible to see the the character of that house. The environment. And our first thought, husbands, is not to ourselves. Like, well, this is the way I want my house to be. No, you need to be thinking about your wife. And are you creating an environment where she can thrive? That is what he's talking about here. And remember, men, we talked about how in God's design from back all the way Genesis 1 and 2, one of the things... We said to, that he's, he's in the image of God and designed, and man is designed to lead, to provide, and to protect. Here, there's the providing. You're providing the necessary resources for your wife to grow spiritually. Men, do you provide for her to grow spiritually? You know, do you provide the, the good Christian books and commentaries for her study in the Bible and all these kinds of... Are you providing the things for her to grow spiritually? Are you providing for her to have a vibrant ministry? To grow into that, that Proverbs 31 woman? I mean, men, you ought to read that often. And say, what do I need to do? Not, honey, you're not this. Thump, thump. No. You ought to read it and say, well, my wife isn't that yet. Shame on me. Thump, thump, right? I need to be working harder. Do I need to provide her more resources? Do I need to do something to change the environment of our home so that she can grow spiritually and, and that she has this vibrant ministry? I mean, you see that woman, I mean, she's, she's a hard worker, right? I mean, you ladies probably, you know, read that and you're like, you know, you're like, okay, that would wear me out, right? And I know I've heard some of the ladies say, yeah, she had maidens to help her. 
you know, and, and they say, you know, so I don't, I, you know, husband, are you going to, you know, hire some people to come in? Like, well, he probably already has, you know, Maytag and, you know, <laughs> right? And you can go through that whole list, right? Those are your maidens. But husband, if you see in Proverbs 31 that your wife is not fully all of those things, it's your job just to change that, to provide the right in- environment. Now, I know you can't make her, and she might decide that she didn't want to do that. But you need to be faithful to provide it and encourage her to take advantage of it, right? And, and secondly, in addition to providing for her, he treats her with tender care. That's the whole cherishing. He treats her with tender care. We have to do that, man. We have to be tender toward our wives. You you want to grow to the point where it's at some point, maybe right today, it, you, know, you might not want to ask today, but at some point you grow to the point where you ask, you know, when you think about how I am as a husband, what comes to mind? And, and you hope that somehow tender care comes out. And and yeah, I know we've got a lot of work to do, guys, and, and to get to that point. But that's what you're shooting for, where she thinks tender care. Okay? Because she's receiving that. This is the man who walks in wisdom. This is the man who is filled by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, I need to address another thing that's kind of out there and foolish guys are saying. <clears throat> and you ladies may have gotten a little nervous when I said that these two terms, nourish and cherish, were commonly used in the nursery. Okay, does that mean my husband can treat me like a child? No. Okay, now there are people out there that teach that. Okay, that they say that, you know, husband, you know, can, you know, should discipline his wife just like he disciplines his children. I'm like, no. Okay? That is error. Paul used these terms to describe, first of all, the kind of tender compassion, the care that goes into loving our wives. Don't miss that. That's the point. Okay? And, and guys, think about this. Okay? He's saying, you men... Adult, full-grown men, you love your body by doing these two nursery things, nourishing and cherishing to yourself, to your adult body. So you see, these aren't necessarily baby terms, children terms, okay? Because he's saying you grown men are treating your adult body with these two things. In these two ways, you see. So he's not talking about, you know, that, yeah, it's okay for you to treat your wife as a child. No, not at all. And one more thing, the oneness in verse 31 that we're going to get to later dispels that error. You're one with her. And you need to behave that way. Husband, exercise dominion together with your wife. We both... Husband and wife are both given dominion, okay? Man and woman in, in God's plan, it says they were to have dominion, not just him. Okay, so husband, exercise dominion together with your wife where you are leading and she is by your side and she is the helper. And together, you're exercising dominion. And, and again, another 
foolish thing out there. Some foolish men today want to be controlling and they don't value input from their wives. They, they just like, I'll make all the decisions and I don't need her input and I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to ask. When we were talking about wives submitting to their husbands, uh, we talked about this idea of a respectful appeal. So, <clears throat> husband decides, okay, yep, we're, we're pulling up our roots and we're moving to Minnesota. You know, because I've got a job offer and we're going, honey. I'm just telling you, we're going. And she's like, okay, you didn't even ask me what I thought or anything. Well, you ladies have the right, biblically, to make a respectful appeal. You say, honey... May I make an appeal? May I share something? You know, and she maybe says, you know, have you found a good church up there? You know, maybe we're in some small town and there isn't a good church. Okay, is that really the right thing for us to, you know? Or, well, you know how you don't handle the cold very well. You know, you should, ladies, you can make a respectful appeal. And men, if you are wise... You will welcome your wife's input. How do I get that? Proverbs 1.5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So men, don't be a prideful fool. Seek your wife's input. She's, she's your helper. She's God's good, good gift to you. And there are things that she'll see that you don't see and doesn't mean she's always right. You're not always right. So you work together on this, okay? And yes, you men, you have the last, you're the final decision. But be wise and consider her input. Seek it. Your wife is your helper, your good gift from God. Make wise use of her help. The, the excellent wife in Proverbs 31, 26 is praised this way. She opens her mouth in wisdom... And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Men, do you think that way of your wife? Like, well, I mean, she's kind of, you know, new, biblically speaking. Okay, well, then your job is to help her grow in the Lord. Provide the resources for her to grow in the Lord. So that when she opens her mouth, it is in wisdom. And another thing, some men won't allow their wife to read anything without their approval. I would ask those men... What does that say about your lack of leadership? If you can't trust your wife. Now, there may be some women who, because of their sinful nature and their their bent, maybe you can't trust them right now. And maybe they'll always fight against you, but most of the time that's not the case. What does it say about your lack of leadership? Are you helping her to develop, to think biblically? Remember what we said earlier, verse 11 of of Proverbs 31, the heart of her husband what? Trusts in her. And I realize she has to, you know, earn the trust because she shows that she's wise. And she's not reading dangerous things. Yeah, Connie and I, we, we talk a lot. We go for walks almost every day and we talk and she'll tell me about things she's reading. And, you know, some of the things she'll say she's reading and, you know, a little flag pops up. And But I just listen and she says, okay, I had a problem with this. I had a problem with this. And here was something that I found helpful, but... You know, I wouldn't recommend this to somebody because of the problems in it. You know, and she doesn't come to me, is it okay for me to read this? Now, she might say, do you know anything about this? Somebody recommended it, and I'm kind of leery, and okay, I'll weigh in, and she'll ask me to read it, and that's, that's cool, we talk. But 
I've watched her grow, and hopefully I've had some good part in helping her grow. And I can trust her. Third, all of this imitates Christ's tender care for His church. That's really where Paul's been going. He's coming back around to imitating Christ. He says, so men, if you want to better understand how to love your wife, then look at Christ. How does He love His church? And if you want to understand that, men, this gets personal here, just consider how you love yourself and how you care for yourself. That tells you how Christ loves His body, and that tells you how to love your wife. Same. <clears throat> Verses 29 and 30. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Harold Honer shows in Ephesians, excuse me, how, how Christ nurtures and takes tender care of his church. And, and, and just to kind of walk you through, we go to the next slide. Um, you can see there, he just walks us through Ephesians and, and says that this is how Christ nurtures and takes tender care of His church. He redeemed it. He sealed it. He empowered it. He brought it into one body. He filled it with God's good fullness. He gifted it. In other words, giving spiritual gifts to it. And He loved and sanctified it. Well, we've looked at recently. And then Honer <clears throat> makes this comment. We're talking about Jesus. He nurses her, the church, with the warmth of His love and power so that she will be able to cope in the world. And you could say that in a lot of different ways. But Christ, this is how He loved His church and loves His church. Why does He tenderly care for her? He says, because we are members of His body. That Greek word for member is never used for being members of like a club. Or an organization or something. It's only used for members of an organism, not an organization. An organism like a person, a human, or an animal, for example. So it's just talking about parts of the body. Okay? And so it is more, what the idea here that Paul has is it's more like we are Christ's, you know, his arm or, or a finger rather than members of the synagogue. That is not the picture that's been members of that group. Here, when he says members, it's, it, it's this... You see how close we are to Christ? Christ sees us as like, you know, we're His arm or His, his thumb or finger. Or something. You see, we're parts of His body. We're that closely tied to Christ. And so, He loves us. And then that picture of tender closeness is going to take us next time into verse 31 where we talk about this idea of oneness, where he quotes from Genesis 2 and about the oneness between the husband and wife. Husband, do you provide the necessary resources and environment for your wife to thrive? Let that sink in. Do you provide the necessary resources and environment for your wife to thrive? That's your job. It's not her job. Do you do that? If the answer is no, then you have work to do. And if it's yes, we still have work to do. Because we have to keep doing it, right? As we come to the Lord's Supper, 
I want us to think about this. Think about the goodness of our God. God the Father delights in His Son's sacrifice. And I stole this from um, Puritan uh, Charnock, but putting it in my own words. God the Father delights in His Son's sacrifice. When His Son willingly gave Himself in obedience to His Father's plan, His Father delighted in that. That, that's my son. He's righteous. He's holy. And he's perfectly willing with his whole heart to do this. And the beautiful, another beautiful thing about it is that he invites us to delight in it too. That's why his son gave us the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. Because God wants us to delight in the very thing he delights in. I want you all in your hearts to gather around the Lord's table, Jesus' table, and delight in His sacrifice. Delight in the tender care that He had for us, so that, as Paul tells us here in Ephesians 5, that He would give Himself for us. That's how tenderly He cares for you if you're a believer. He said, I'll die for you. And he did. Delight in that as we come to the table and rejoice in it. Charnock uses the term these morsels that the Father, it's like these morsels that are a a delight to him. And he says, and for us, it's like, you know, when you take, I know, you know, bread and the cup, they don't have any particularly wonderful flavor or anything, but... That's not the point. The point is what they represent. The tender love of our Savior. Let's delight in that.